Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deanna and she, her pronouns, a community engagement manager at Modern Classroom. And I am joined by one of our expert mentors and a very engaged member of our Facebook group, Rebecca Shea. Welcome, Becca. Hi, Tony Rose. It's so exciting to be in this space with you. And thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. Um, Okay, so before we get started, how are you feeling today? I am very jittery. I am starting school tomorrow, and this is a huge, um, just being on the podcast is super exciting for me. I'm, you know, fangirling a little bit, and so I'm very excited to be here with you this afternoon. And we are also so, so, so excited. Um, I know that you and I had such a great conversation the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have you on the podcast. So here we go. Um, Tell us more about who you are and how you started your Modern Classrooms journey. Of course. So I currently teach AP and New York State Regents Level Physics in the Capital District of Upstate New York. I'm going into my 11th year teaching. Somehow time has flown by. I have been doing Modern Classrooms in full force now for two and a half years, but I had been implementing bits and pieces before I even knew it was the Modern Classrooms Project, uh, the same model since, oh, since I was actually teaching at a different district. So it's been about eight years. I had a group of seventh graders who just could not handle me standing in front of the room talking at them because they're seventh graders in math. And so I started implementing some self-pacing with the materials we had. Then I learned about a flipped classroom when I moved into physics and it just made sense. Then I heard about standard uh, standards-based grading, and that made perfect sense. And then when I stumbled upon you guys in the pandemic, I instantly called my administrator. I was like, I have found exactly what I've been trying to do and just couldn't make it work because I was the only one trying to figure it out. And I really needed the support that MCP has given me. And that's such a beautiful thing to say to a name, the fact that you had seen and had some experience with all three pillars of our model, you just didn't really know how to put it all together. And I think that was my biggest uh, challenge as well was because I knew about all of these things, right? I knew about blended learning. I knew about self-paced structure. I knew about mastery-based grading and, and learning, but I had no idea how I could put all of that together. And so coming across Modern Classroom and being approached and saying like, hey, we have this instructional model when I was in DC. Do you want to try it out? I was like, uh, yeah, no hesitation. So that's really, really great that you were able. Was it just a quick Google search for you? How did How did that come about? So I... When I first started with the self-pacing, it was just out of desperation. And then I had heard about flipped uh, classroom. In particular, there is a kind of big name in the AP physics community. So that's how I started researching it. And then I found you guys on the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. I listen to podcasts all the time, which I think is why I'm so excited to be here. And in the pandemic, when we shut down to give myself 
still that time, instead of having a commute, I would walk outside and listen to podcasts. And I heard about the model and that's what I spent the rest of all of the time doing was researching, doing the free course and figuring out what, how, what I had already done fit into the structures that MCP was providing me. And I, I I like that a lot too. And so I'm just going to go off script and ask more about flip learning. How is the blended learning part of modern classroom different than flip learning? Because we do have a lot of, you know, questions that come in and say, how is this different than flip learning? Absolutely. So the biggest difference is with the true flipped learning style, you expect the students to watch the videos outside of class time. And I learned very early on, I would say probably by week two of flipping my classroom, that that was not going to work for my students. They did not have time, have the resources, or want to watch the instructional videos out of class, but they were very willing to watch them in class. Many students in physics, those higher levels, really enjoyed being able to pause the video and get immediate answers. And so once I accepted that, I didn't care when or where the students were watching the videos. I just accepted that they were, and I was pleased with that. That I think is the difference between a flipped and a blended. That idea of blended, you have the access in and out of class, whereas flipped, you really rely on them to do that work outside of class time. And thank you for clarifying that, because I know even as an adult, right, like I hated homework as a student when I was in grad school because I had a life outside of school. And so it was really nice with the blended learning to have that option of watching that video while in class and then also just getting that immediate feedback, like you said. And so I, I, I just really want to acknowledge the fact that our students do have lives outside of school. And so it's really nice to have that option to be able to watch the videos. I know that there was one implementer who um, encourages his students to watch the videos at home so that they can start applying their knowledge in the class. But then, you know, there is that expectation that they watch it at home, but then there's also time in the class in case they couldn't watch it at home. So students knew like, okay, if you had swim practice or soccer practice or a basketball game or whatever it may be, right? Like they could actually um, have time in the classroom to to watch those videos. So thank you for answering those questions. Um, and so tell us about your school, like the demographics, technology use, number of learners, location, anything like that, really. Sure. So like I said earlier, I am in upstate New York, the capital region. I am, I don't know what we technically are considered, but really we are a urban, suburban, suburban, urban. We're kind of right on that border between those two demographics. Our district serves just under 2,800 students district-wide. And I did some research. I wouldn't be a physics and math teacher if I didn't love statistics and numbers. And so I looked up New York State has these things. I don't know if every state does. They're called school report cards. And according to our school report card in the 2020 to 21, uh, 2021 school year, 44% of our students were considered, quote, economically disadvantaged. 
And so that since I've been in the district, that number has been increasing. We're seeing a lot more students with the free and reduced lunch in some of those metrics. And so we have a wide range of students. We have students that would consider themselves living in a city. They do live in the city. And then we even cover some farm country. So we have a pretty wide range of students and we're relatively small. I am the only physics teacher in the district. And so it is a, I would say it's a medium sized school for the area. So Becca, are you the only teacher implementing modern classroom at your school, at your district? As far as I know, If someone is, we haven't crossed paths, so something tells me that they're not. Um, There are some people who have gotten into the blended part of instruction. I am very slowly turning the science department into colleagues in this. I had a few teachers implement it this model for regents review at the end of the year. I kind of get in with our new hires. And they're like, oh, this sounds great. My administration is so supportive. They also know our direct administrators that if they were to make this a top-down approach, it wouldn't work in our district. And so they are, well, it's not that it wouldn't work. There would probably be a revolt. And so they're really giving me the space and the opportunity to kind of get the get it running from the ground up and are very willing if anyone shows interest to support them and myself in helping others embrace this model. You're essentially a trailblazer for your district, which is really great. And also your admin seems like they're giving you the autonomy and the power to really make that impact within your colleagues in your district, which is commendable. That's amazing. So tell us, um, I know for me, Regents Review, can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So New York State, although we have a state test in the high school, it is at the end of most of our classes, there is a test that covers everything you're supposed to cover during the school year. And it is used in our teacher evaluation. So my student scores are used to evaluate me as a teacher. And then also to evaluate the school based on passing rate, mastery rate, so on and so forth. Even though it's been optional-ish with the pandemic, it's still in in New York State a pretty big deal, unfortunately. So it is just our version of the end of the year state testing. Got it. And I feel like I should know that because we have a lot of teachers from New York. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. So let's let's shift gears. Let's talk AP. Okay. We normally get a lot of questions from AP educators about how it might be slightly impossible to implement the model when teaching an AP class. So time and time again, I've met some incredible AP educators who have been successful with this model, you being one of them. What are some challenges and successes that you've had, have you had with MCP in your AP class? So this is interesting. Like we were talking about, I'm the only one who is doing this model in my school. And I get a lot of teachers who will say something like, Well, of course it works for you because you have the AP students or you have the physics students. Those are, you know, the cream of the crop, the best of the students. And what's interesting is I've actually had the largest struggle implementing MCP with my AP classes. And it's not because of the content. It's actually because of the typical students that you will get in your AP classes. They traditionally will be students who have really learned the game of school. They know 
how to play the game just right so that they can get those really high scores, do what they need to do, get the college recommendations, so on and so forth. Then I come in their junior and senior year and just completely shake it up. Eh, no, we're not doing that. You can't just sit there passively in lecture. You have to retake this. No, you're not going to get a 100 every single time. So they've been the most resistant but once they do embrace the model, those students can really run with it. I just find you need to push through how uncomfortable they can be. Whereas when I teach some of our other courses, maybe that don't have a standardized test, that are the students that take a little bit longer to get through curriculum material, who traditionally are not excelling in a traditional teacher upfront classroom, they quickly embrace the model. Those students are like, sweet, this is something that I haven't done before. I had this chance to be super successful. This isn't like every other class I've been in. Let's do it. And so the first hurdle I have faced with AP is getting the students on board. College Board itself provides us with so many resources that the actual implementation has been smoother for AP than some of my other classes. And so it is in terms of implementing with AP, the first hurdle is the students. The parents are typically on board. We talk about how this will help them in college. And then I am sometimes facing some of the teachers who are not supportive of the model, mostly because they don't fully understand what it is, will sometimes have opinions that they'll share with students we have in common. So we do have to address those as well. And these are all great points too, and something to keep in mind, right? Like quote unquote, the cream of the crop. And they've just kind of learned the game of school, which I was definitely one of them. And so shaking it up, like their last two years of school, that's gotta be so jarring. And also just lots of pushback of like, what are you doing? This is not how we've been learning. And so that's a really good thing to name as well, because there's a lot of misconceptions and just assumptions about how students would react, right? And it's kind of, wild for me when I talk to implementers or people who are really hesitant about the model, I'm like, just try it with your students. It really does make a huge difference when you just try it and just be open with sitting with that discomfort, like you said, right? It is very uncomfortable trying something new for both teachers and the students. And so just being able to sit with that uncomfort, with that discomfort, and just really figuring out like, this is a way for us to move forward, to change, and just to kind of create more ways to practice the skills that we really need to move forward. And so it's really nice to hear that, you know what, from your experience, right? Like the students in your AP classes had a harder time than students who were not in AP classes because they were just the traditional way of, of teaching and learning wasn't working for them. And so, and it's also interesting. So the college board, um, I know that they came out with standards and they do provide you with lots of resources. How do you determine which ones are your must do, should do, and aspire to do? Because something I've heard too is that there's way too much content to cover for me to just say like not do everything that is being given. You know what I'm saying? So how do you determine the lesson classification for your course? Absolutely. There is so much content to cover in an AP course. And I do lesson classification based on individual activities. So Every single student, hopefully, is getting through every single lesson, but within the lessons is where that differentiation comes. And so my must-do tasks are really, it's the notes, it is the bare minimum practice, typically, and 
any labs were in science. The kids want to do the labs anyway. So they've got any labs and then the mastery checks. From there, I actually, I call my tasks um, suggested tasks instead of should do. And those suggestions take those same tasks to the next level. So while watching the videos and taking notes is a must do, watching the videos and taking the notes after in a retrieval practice is a suggested practice. Doing test corrections or quiz corrections on their online assignments that are the practice AP questions, that would be a should do or a suggested practice for my students. And I was really struggling with getting Aspire to do's. They just, no one was, even my top performing students were not doing any of my Aspire to-dos. So I passed around last year after the first AP test, just a sheet of paper and said, what are the types of tasks you would actually want to do for Aspire to-do? And overwhelmingly, the students wanted to create study sheets, flashcards, one pagers, something they could use to prepare or do regions practice that slightly lower level in theory in New York. And so I inquired about that. Like, why, why do you want to do this extra work? That's super easy, you know? And I, I kind of assumed it was because they wanted easier work. Well, it turns out the students felt really confident knowing they were actually doing the work of two different courses that they were preparing to take that additional standardized test if they wanted to. I would have never put that as an aspire to do without their input. And so that is how I do the lesson classification. And it's worked very well for us. Oh, you know, I love this so much because in my head, that's what I did with my students too, because uh, there was one aspire to do task that I took forever putting together, right? I was so excited about it. Like I thought it was the greatest task and all of my students were like, this is lame. I don't want to do this. <laughs> so then I was like, you know what? You're right. What do you want to do? And I always, this is again, something too, it's really good to hear Becca that when we invite our students in and we ask for their input, they actually come up with better ideas than us and like ideas that we would have never thought to put together. And I also love that you added that extra step of like, yeah, here's a piece of paper. Tell me all the tasks you want to do for your Aspire to do. But then having that conversation to understand why that is a thing that they want to do. So I really, really want to commend you for that. That is, that is incredible. Um, and another thing, so you and I had a conversation about how there are implicit biases and barriers when it comes to particular learners taking and being offered AP classes. How do you how do you ensure that all learners are able to take AP classes? And how have you been advocating at your school for learners who may be overlooked because of some requirement that they need to meet before being offered an AP class or just based off of you know implicit biases and barriers? How are you advocating for all learners to take your AP class or even just like any AP classes? So this is something that I, a passion I've recently stumbled upon. I didn't realize that getting students into my AP classes was something I was so interested in until it kind of organically happened. So very typical. I'm going to like take you back a little bit with each year, with the way we do scheduling in our district, we actually talk about the next courses that the students can take when they're sitting in your classroom. And so I had a 
conversations with the other science teachers and we would go back and forth, the administration and I, whether or not algebra two was a requirement, whether an 85 in chemistry wasn't a requirement, whether mastering the algebra regent should be a requirement. And it finally just got to the point where I decided I wasn't going to let my student test scores actually evaluate me as a teacher. And I wanted every student to take physics. It really like was a punch in the gut when certain teachers in any discipline would say to a student that they were not a physics student, they weren't a science person, or they weren't a math person. And so I worked with my administration to really say, what do they need to have in order to be successful in the class. And the truth was you need to have taken some science before. Being thrown into physics in our school as a freshman would be very overwhelming. So essentially they need to be a junior or a senior who has taken science. But then other than that, if you wanna take AP, I welcome you into AP. If you don't wanna take AP, well, we've got other levels of physics for you. And this, my administration is happy to embrace. My other science teachers are happy to embrace, but not everyone is. So we're kind of working to make sure that all the stakeholders in the district are on the same page with the fact that in reality, anyone can take physics. And because of this model, I can differentiate in every single class. So if they want to be in an AP and they barely passed chemistry, doesn't matter to me. I mean, I just remember you saying that in our last conversation and I was just blown. I mean, I grew up in South Georgia. So, um, you know, it was when we were chosen because we were chosen to take the AP classes. Right. Um, It was just such an interesting process. And and I just figured like, you know, this should be available for anyone who is interested. Right. We can't just say like, oh, we're tracking you, you're going this way. So AP classes are not your thing. Right. Um, And so I really appreciate you just advocating for students who are learners at your school and just being able to say like, okay, we'll have some basic requirements, but not necessarily test scores or like specific classes before you can get into this thing. Right. And so really allowing for students to choose that option is really, really impactful. And so um, I'm, we're going to continue that conversation too, but I know that a lot of um, our implementers had questions about, or, you know, AP educators really, how does mastery-based learning and grading look in your classes? That is a great question because it has looked different every year. I'm really bad at being a scientist. I change a lot of things all at once to try to make every year a little bit better. But the way that I use the mastery-based learning is I use those mastery checks for students to check in to make sure they're understanding what's going on, give them real detailed feedback. And this year I'm actually shifting to truer standards-based grading where we're breaking down the lessons I am or the learning targets and we are making lessons to go with larger learning targets. Students have multiple opportunities to reassess their actual understanding and reassess those different learning targets within the class. I don't do 
any participation grades or things along those lines. It is an AP class. Many of these students are going to college and not many college classes, at least in the sciences, have participation grades. And so I use the mastery-based grading and learning to just really focus on, are you getting to the AP level of understanding or do we still need to do some work and dig a little bit deeper? Yeah. And I, I like what you said about the participation grades, because honestly, like, how do we really grade participation? <laughs> right. I think it's so it's pretty much I, I know for me, my own practice is very biased. Right. Like I was just like, oh, like student A said a lot. So participation grade is 100. Student A didn't say anything. So then they don't get a high grade. And it's like, well, tick- participation doesn't necessarily mean it's all verbal. You know what I'm saying? So like, I can't. I can't with participation grades. I hope that's one thing that we can get rid of at some point soon. (laughs) That and homework grades. I can't with homework grades because you don't know what is going on outside of the classroom. And so for me to grade something that I don't, this is going to sound kind of controlling, but I like being able to know the assessment's authentic. I know when my students go over to the mastery check seats that they are not on their computers looking up the answers or just trying to get the best grade that they can. They're actually having to use their knowledge and express their understanding. And so I've always had a hard time grading anything that was really done outside of class just because there's so many factors beyond our control, beyond the student's control, even that could be impacting those grades. Yeah. Something stood out to me was that, you know, when they're in your classroom, you can actually see their knowledge. You can see that transfer, right? And they can show individually what they've learned. And at home, like you said, we just don't have any control. And sometimes we have some caregivers and families who are like, let me help you. Like, with all of it. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But like you said, there's a lot of outside factors that are happening. I also just hate homework also because, you know, our students, I know at my old school, they had seven classes and I can't even imagine having homework for each class every night. Like that for me just sounded awful. Did not sound good to me at all. Yeah. And especially my AP students tend to be overloaded. We give them the option to not have lunch, to take class. And we're also a very big music and theater school. So many of my students are also in the production. So they are at, especially when it's like dress rehearsals, they're here till 11 o'clock at night doing theater, you know, the dress rehearsals, the run-throughs, all of that. Then they have to go home and do even more work. When are they going to sleep? Like it, it amazes me. They're so involved. And so I know from experience, you can have great success even if you don't assign those hours and hours of traditional homework. Yeah. And of course, giving it as an option too, right? Like, hey, if you want to do more learning and and reading about whatever we're learning, you know, whatever we're doing in class, you can more than welcome to. That's what I always told my students. I always told them like, I'm not saying there's, you know, there's no homework, but if you want homework, here are all the cool things that you can do. And so it was, it became such an option for my students and a lot of them really embraced it. Like if they needed to do work after school, they could, if they wanted, they could, but if they didn't want to, or they didn't have time or they didn't feel like it was necessary, that was also okay. So again, like giving students lots of choice and options is really, really great. 
So as someone who teaches AP, I know that there are practices where educators handpick the learners they want in their classes. That was my experience. And so share with the listeners what you and your school are doing to offer AP Physics. One, for your students, I know that you shared with me um, uh, before this conversation about a student that you had. And so just anything you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. So to directly answer your question, one of the things we did was we used to, in our district, make students apply. So not only did they need to meet GPA requirements, they had to have teacher recommendations. They would have to write essays, which I, as the AP teacher, actually never saw. I I don't even know what the topic was the first few years. I finally got a new administrator who asked me what I wanted the topic to be. And that's when I looked at him and said, I don't think they need to write an essay to get into AP physics. And luckily he was very willing to sit down with me and really reevaluate what are the requirements to get into our AP classes. And so we, I have less handpicking because of that fact that I want to welcome everyone in. And that does, I know, scare some people. It was a little scary to me because if the end goal that you have for your students in the class is to pass, quote unquote, with a three or higher on the AP exam, I understand wanting to choose and bring in and invite students who are set up really well to achieve that. And standardized testing has many flaws and we know those biases there. And so I can see where we would want to place restrictions on it. But if your goal is to have all students experience an AP level class, learn time management, learn how to do self-reflection and work collaboratively and think through hard problems, all things that we do in AP, and you stop worrying and you can, I'm very fortunate that I can, not all schools allow teachers to stop worrying about AP scores. But if you have that opportunity to say, you know what, if they quote unquote pass, that's great. But if they just show up and do this really hard thing, that's great as well. And so that was a big shift that we are actually still going through. We by no means are there yet. We still have a lot of inviting in of students to do, but I feel like we are on the right track. And this really, I have two stories actually to share uh, that really got me thinking about this. The first is I had a student who was told by their math teacher that they were not a math and science student and that they should not go into physics. So that year, I actually had the student in a non-regents general physical science course, and he was just blowing it out of the water. And I looked at him and I was like, you're going to take physics next year. And he had internalized the fact that someone had told him he was not going to excel in the sciences and was terrified. But I told him, hey, we're going to do class just like we're doing. I was using MCP with them and I'm going to get you through. And lo and behold, he came in. He did really great. You know, it wasn't a straight A student all the way through, but he still rocked physics and learned so much. And I was so happy to have that rapport and this model to support him. And then another story is I had a student who just refused to do physics. They found themselves in my class 
they just refused. This is when I was using a traditional model. And actually midway through the year, I started implementing with this group and he still just refused to do physics. And I invited him in every day and he came back the next year and said, so I decided to major in physics. And I really wish I had done the things that you had asked us to do, because not only would I have known the physics I needed for my classes, I would not have struggled my freshman year with figuring out how to do college. And that was just, it's still giving me goosebumps. Um, and those were, you know, those moments where I'm like, okay, all of the hard work, the preparation, the battling the students, parents, other teachers about the advantages of the model, that's when it pays off. And it just kind of makes you realize the impact lasts. Even if you're not seeing it right now, it comes back and it reminds you like, okay, everything I'm doing in the classroom is impactful. Um, And I just thank you so much for sharing that. I just, I love student stories and I love when the light bulb turns on and they're like, oh, you were right all along. (laughs) Um, And it just shows again, right? It only really takes that one adult to push that one kid and they just, do such cool, cool things. Uh, So thank you for sharing that. So then how does MCP work when learners have an AP exam at the end? Because I know we have questions about, you know, my students have to take this exam. How do you then implement this model when really my students need to take this exam and score a certain score, right? Have you seen growth with your learners and their scores when you start implementing the model? And I know that I don't particularly want to focus on scores, but, you know, we have people who want to focus on scores and that's okay. Uh, schools that really hang on to the scores as well. And so, and I know that you've also talked about just kind of having that aspire to do or should do with taking practice AP questions. So how does that look for you? Yeah. So the fact that there's an AP exam at the end just gives us all a goal. I think it is a leverage point where I'm like, well, it's going to be on the AP test. If you want to do really well on the AP test, let's see if we can master this lesson. And so I don't think it has negatively impacted me. The only real bummer with being in New York in the AP exam is we start the school year so late. We start after Labor Day and then the test is in the beginning of May. So we sprint, but because of the model, the students have flexibility. They have their lessons in advance. I have students who know maybe they'll have a really busy week and they have a bunch of video notes and they know they're going to need help with practice questions. They'll spend their Sunday watching all the videos. Who am I to say you can't watch all the videos on a Sunday if that's what you decide is a good time, right? And so having the AP exam is just, it's just there. And I just make sure that the work that I am doing all year is aligned with the quality and the expectations of that exam, just like I do with our state exam in my other classes. And so in terms of scores, our AP scores have been on point with the other AP classes. Like we talked about, I'm the only one doing this model in AP in my district, and my scores are just on par with everyone else's. My administration hasn't had any complaints. We haven't had a real good science experiment with this as I've only ever taught AP in a pandemic. And so that in and of itself has brought some major change, you know, major challenges. My very first year teaching AP itself was the year that we went into shutdown. 
And then we had a year where we were hybrid. They were in school and out of school. And then last year was that adjustment, trying to get back into the daily routine of coming to school. And so it's been a rocky road, but I cannot imagine it would have been any easier with any other model simply because right from the beginning, we know how well they're doing and it's pretty easy to sit down and look at the data and say, yeah, you know what? We did not rock this test, but we also only got halfway through the lessons. So what's our game plan to learn the information, learn the skills that we need to know before that test in May comes around? It just sounds like you have this, um, you've given yourself grace and you've given students grace. And I just, I really love that feeling of, and you just saying the AP exam is a shared goal. Like what a great shift of mindset there. Instead of seeing it as a something stressful, seeing it as it's a goal. Like it's something that we can all look at and say like, okay, this is what we want. And we're going to work towards that goal. And however that may look is really up to you. So that. That is amazing. And also teaching AP during the pandemic, that kudos to you. (laughs) I'm sure that in itself presented lots of challenges. So um, what is a tip that you have for an AP educator who may be hesitant to implement MCP in their classes? Not to sound corny, but just do it. Um, Just go for it. College Board itself with AP provides you so many resources to support the students. And you don't have to make 100% every day, every lesson self-paced. My students in AP really do crave and miss those whole group instructions. And so we do a little bit of a whole group activity every single day. The difference between our MCP classes and a more traditional way of approaching AP is that whole group is not a lecture. We're still going to learn something. Maybe we're doing a demo and sharing ideas or we're having a discussion or we are doing a, you know, a game up on the whiteboard together playing a Quizlet Live or something along those lines, but we can still cover all of the material. And if you have been wanting to do it, just jumping in is a great way to go and then connect with other MCP people. The AP community always seems, at least in physics, so happy to share. Chances are you'll find someone you can work with. Even though I am the only person in my district, I actually am working with another AP Physics 1 MCP teacher who is in Missouri And we are collaborating this year and planning together on Zooms. And it is fantastic. And it is because of MCP that I am not a solo teacher in physics. I have someone I can turn to and ask for help when we get stuck on a lesson. Oh, music to my ears. Our community is such a bomb community. Like we are just so open and receptive and welcoming and just want to partner up with everyone. So this is really great. I love that you said the whole group is not a lecture. I think I want our listeners to hear that again. The whole group is so much more intentional with this model, right? Like depending on what kind of engaging task you want students to partake in, it's just so much more intentional. There's no more really passive learning that's happening in whole groups 
but it's really active. So depending on, it could just be a Socratic seminar, it could be a lab, it could be, you know, whatever you think, but the whole group is definitely a lot more intentional. And so like Becca says, there's no need for you to do self-pacing every single day, every minute of every class. You can really toy around with how you want your structure to look. And that's the beauty of this, right? There's no one right way to do it. And so Becca, what do you hope to see in the future and what goals do you have for the school year? Because I know you're starting like tomorrow. Yeah, we have our in-service days, the day of recording. Um, By the time this comes out, we will be back in session. And my hope is to see more students in my AP classes. I I went with a wild idea to my administration and I said, what if we only offer AP physics? And they were like, well, what's going to happen to our numbers? I was like, no, 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 no. Our numbers are still going to be great. We're going to offer all the different levels. There's so many of physics for a crazy bunch. I was like, we can offer AP1, AP2. We can even offer APC if we want. But I think all students can experience physics with the way that I teach class and we can still keep our numbers up and have a great time and everyone will learn something. And the last I knew we as a district might be moving in that path. And so my goal is just to continue to reach students and support them and help them reach their goals. Some students, the goal is a five on the exam. Some students is just to pass the class. They're challenging themselves. They're like, I don't even care what I get on the exam. I just need to get through AP. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do it. Let's go. And so I want to just continue to invite my students into Shayville, as we call it, and join me on my AP MCP journey. Oh, that's so cute. Shayville. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Becca, I'm definitely the student, the the latter of that. Of I just want to pass this class. I don't even care about the score, but also because I was in a school which didn't get a lot of funding. I took AP Bio and AP Calc, and both of my teachers were like, there's no need for you to take the AP exam. We don't have the resources for you to be successful. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I will just pass, I suppose, and learn as much as I can. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I think it's a great experience, though. And obviously, College Board has their, you know, AP has their own motives. But I think exposing students, especially if they think they might go into higher education at any level, even if they're not sure, to a college level class, but in the safety and structure of a high school is a great way just to build those soft skills, study skills, life skills that no matter what you end up doing, you're going to need. And I completely agree with that, right? My AP Calc teacher was amazing. Shout out to Dr. N. I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but (laughs) he just blew my mind with all the things that we learned in his class. And I didn't take the AP exam. So, um, kudos to Dr. N. So, um, okay. Well, how can our listeners connect with you, Becca? Yeah. So I'm pretty active in our MCP Facebook group, as well as the AP physics groups. I am active on Instagram and I reset my Twitter password so that I could give the listeners my information for this, but on both Instagram and Twitter, my handle, I think that's what it is, is Shayville Fizz. So S-H-E-A-V-I-L-L-E-P-H-Y-S because Twitter cut me off and I couldn't type all of physics in. 
I love this so much. I I was talking to another guest where they just created a Twitter account and I was like, oh, this is great. We're getting teachers in the internets and in the social media platforms and so that we can continue connecting. Um, Y'all listeners, Becca is super active on the Facebook group. Like she said, she is putting out some really great stuff and great resources so that you can just kind of peruse them, copy and paste and give her feedback or ask her questions. So definitely check out her Facebook group. And so with that, thank you so much, Becca. Listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 105. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Becca, you're a rock star and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Tony Rose. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.